In this episode of The Inner Entrepreneur, we continue our conversation on the impact of culture and leadership in business. Paul and I share our experiences on how effective leadership styles can shape or destroy a company's culture. We also have honest discussions about management, integrity, and the danger of insincerity. Understand why the brutal truth of self-awareness can indeed make or break you as a successful entrepreneur. You can't BS culture, folks. Join us as we explore the path of building a thriving, authentic business organization. So let's get into it. Welcome to The Inner Entrepreneur, a place where soul meets strategy and passion meets profit. Success in business is about more than mastering the external. It's an internal game. Ready to play? Hello and welcome back to The Inner Entrepreneur. I'm Brandon Ward, joined by my co-host, Paul Ryan, from the beautiful Isle of Ireland. It is beautiful indeed. Cold, beautiful. I know we're getting right into it here too with the the winters at this time of the year, Paul. But like you said, I, I enjoy the seasons. I think it's nice to have the changes and you get to appreciate the weather when it comes and goes, right? So uh, Absolutely. I sat in last night and we had the fu- a roaring fire. It's beautiful. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just love that. And this morning, um, I got into my cold tub. I'm one of those Odd, odd individuals are like dumping into a cold tub as often as possible. The great time about this time of the year in Ireland is that you don't need to do anything. You, the water, the, the water's cold enough. But uh, <laughs> so I love both of those things. I, I love when the, the water's really cold for a cold tub. I don't love it in that actual moment, of course, but I love to having no. it there. But to sit in the evening and light the fire, is, I enjoy that. I enjoy, I enjoy all the seasons. The best. I'm a, I'm a huge bonfire fire guy myself. We had a, um, in the house that I grew up in when I was young, we had a fireplace in it. And some of the most fond memories that I have as a kid are like when we had our Christmas trees up, you had yeah. the fire going, you're sitting there by, yeah. it was a stone hearth. I mean, it was an old home, right? It's not like, but it, it was, it's one of those things that just really anchored a part of my childhood that I'm always very fond of. And I feel like that brought a love for fires and bonfires that I still have as an adult. So I can certainly share that with you. We, we um, have a fire in our hallway. So where. Christmas oh, and that nice. kind of stuff when you walk in with a big Christmas tree in the hallway and the fire burning in the hallway. And people just love it when they come in, the fire oh. burning in the entrance hall. It's just, it's, 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 we don't light it all the time, but that time of the year we do. And it's, it's lovely, you know? It's beautiful. So That's wonderful. Yeah, we enjoy it's the vibe cold. setting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what's interesting, I, cold plunges are something that I've been learning more about, but I was listening to someone, I can't remember who this was, but the person was a prior like heroin addict or cocaine addict. And he was a mess, destroyed his life. But it turns out cold plunges are the way our brain in terms of the dopamine response is the closest thing that you can get to a cocaine or heroin hit. I know this is kind of crazy, but that's the level of, of spikes you get from cold plunges, but they're actually good for you. So they actually helped him break his addiction. And now he's like in personal development. And I need to figure out who it is. I can't remember who it was. but. You mentioning the cold plunges, there's a ton of value in those things, man. That discomfort brings comfort and, and strength in odd ways. So anyway, I think it's cool that you do that. Also something I learned early on, um, but in business, when dealing in difficult situations, I, I'm a little bit stepped back from that now, so I don't have them that often, thank you. But when I would have to deal with a, a manager or a member of staff or, or, or someone, someone, and I knew it was going to be a conflict, a, a challenging situation. And you're dreading going into, you know, the way the meeting's in 10 minutes time and your heart's beating and all that. Oh God, this is going to be unpleasant. And I noticed something about those meetings that firstly, when they had to happen, I would always freaking do them. I mean, I never, never liked them. And people just say to me, no, you're good at handling these situations. I go, no, I, I don't like them. I hate them. I'm terrified doing them. Well, they have to be done. I freaking do them. That's the first thing. But something I noticed was this, and, and, and it reminds me of the cold plunges, that what I would make myself aware of was someone coming in, it was going to be a difficult conversation, but the difficulty was just getting into it. And I always noticed that once I got into, once I jumped in and got into the engage and someone, I had a good way with, with people, I had a good way of talking to people. And after maybe five or 10 minutes or so, a difficult situation would come into a tolerable or positive conversation. So I have to remind myself that even though I felt that 
anticipation, anxiety beforehand that if I just jumped in and went with it, just in other words, get through that part because once you get into the conversation, it comes in, it's never near, never nearly as bad. I'm sure anyone here, everyone here knows what I mean about that. But the cold plunge reminds me of that because it trains my brain for that. Because this morning when I went out and I just, it was actually raining when I went to Dorset Top this morning. So you walk out, you get in and, and it's, it's so cold, but it eases pretty quickly. Like it takes maybe 30 seconds or so to ease. And that's a great lesson for me in these situations that not to avoid them, to jump into them. And then once you flow into them, you engage it. So I think when you use things like cold plunges, trains your mind. So you, you have a point of reference to go, yeah, I know this feels difficult, but I settle into it fairly quickly. You know, and it reminds me, we haven't even moved on to the topic of the episode yet, but it reminds me of having a conversation outside <laughs> with, with a pal last year. And he go, and we, I'd been in the Irish Sea in February or something, which is pretty damn cold. But he said to me, oh, I don't know how you do that. And he, and he told me that he had gone in. He said, I literally went in for 15 seconds. How do you stay for five minutes? I went in for 15 seconds. It was so cold. I came back out. And I said to my friend, I said, you did the hardest part. I said, the first 15, 30 seconds, you did the hard part. I said, if you just had stuck with it for another 15 seconds, it begins to get easier. And, and I think that's often when we're dealing with challenging situations with people, staff, et cetera, is they avoid, they avoid that difficult, but it gets easier when you get into it and you create other problems if you don't get into it. So that's, well, it's a great story, Paul, to share because ultimately that ties into what we're talking about in today's episode. And I think what we're going to be talking about in the next few episodes is, is we're going to continue our conversation around culture. We're going to start diving into leadership a little more and, and what that looks like, bad culture looks like, what good culture looks like, but also strong leadership versus weak leadership. And we've had a few things, you and I were talking earlier, some personal experiences that I think will tie in great to this in a, an episode or two out, how with business ethics and how all these pieces, the culture, the way you lead companies, the way you treat your people, it all impacts the customers, your team, the growth of your company. And a lot of people have very short-sighted perspectives about the way they run businesses, which they may save a nickel or two in the beginning in that moment. But in the long run, you're going to cost yourself a lot more wealth and growth and progress than, than you're aware of. So I'm hoping that as we continue this conversation, Paul, around leadership and culture, that we're going to expand on some of these things. Because there needs to be a revolution in the way businesses are ran. I don't think business owners realize how much of an impact they make on their team, on their community, on everything around them. And so that's for us in a lot of ways, what we're hoping to do here is to help shape a generation of entrepreneurs and owners and the way they're running and leading their companies. I I think that's very right. But I also think that you know, we're 20 years apart in age, so I'm not, so we're not the same generation, but I still think we've probably both been raised in an environment that presents business owners and successful people and rich people in a particular way. And when you talk about someone who is rich, we, um, what's the Simpsons, um, character? Uh, oh, oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns. But the great thing about Mr. Burns is he kind of is the picture of what we go so enrich. He's miserable. He's mean. He's horrible. And his, his only friend is his manservant who just, who is terrified with him. Like he, you know, he, he lives in this enormous mansion by, by himself. And I kind of think culturally we have this picture of success and wealth that it, it requires that, that it, that it doesn't lend itself to what you're talking about, which is good business ethics, which is treating people well, which is treating customers well, that it doesn't lend itself to that. And of course, we all know that's just not true. It's it's, it's just not true at all. But the one things we covered in last week's episode, or one things we said, and we may have uh, irked a few people was the statement that bad culture is always weak leadership. And I think, uh, mm. I, I don't know if you're innocent of saying that, but I certainly repeat that in a number of occasions, the bad culture is always Well, weak. if I didn't say it, I certainly supported it because I'm right here with you and we're rocking the show together and I didn't argue against it. So, yeah. 
But I get that that notion could wind people up the wrong way, man. And I, I told a story. I've been sitting in with 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 in, in, in a group of six people and some of them entrepreneurs and a conversation starting about the trouble they were having with the people in the business and how I didn't come in and say, guys, problem, your weak leadership. Because they were, everyone, five people around the table were talking about, oh, problems with staff, all these sort of complainings. And I'm saying nothing because I either say nothing or I speak the truth. And the truth is, okay, guys, if you're having those cultural problems in your business, I know why that is. I don't have to walk in your front door. I can tell you it's because the leadership is weak in your business. And if you're business owners, then the problem is you. And, and I didn't want to, in that particular afternoon, get into an argument with people who hadn't asked me for my opinion on it. So I didn't. So I can imagine why people would get, would get annoyed with that. So I want to be very, very clear. I want to be very clear that I fundamentally believe that to be the truth. When I find a business with, with, with per culture, I am always seeing weak leadership. So, this, so I stand over that. And I'm not saying it from a holier-than-thou point of view. I'm saying it for two reasons. One is, that's what I learned. Honestly, I learned that from Keith Cunningham. But when I learned that from him, I learned it because I recognized it. Because in the environment it was communicated mm-hmm. to me, when I sat back and looked, and I looked at the key cultural problems I had in the business, and they were many, I realized that I had all those problems because I was tolerating all that behavior. And the aha moment for me was going, Paul, you're the problem. And, and, and we told the story about this issue. I'd had Christmas time and thinking I'd one problem, I had a problem with poor sales. We were going, no, you have a problem with a manager, you have a problem with you. And I think until you backtrack, so this is not blame. This is not saying, oh, I'm better, I'm smarter than you. No, I'm not. But I was there, I stood there. And when I realized I was the problem, now is up. And it, it was terrifying, can I say, Brandon, to realize that because then, because when you realize you're a problem, you go, oh, this is what I have to confront to fix it. I mean, I have to get into some serious cold tubes here and I don't want to do that. And, and I think a lot of the reason, sorry, I'm going to say a lot of the reason people don't address these issues. Let me rephrase that. I think the reason I didn't address those issues was because to acknowledge them, meant I had to be the solution. And to be the solution, I had to realize that fixing it was terrifying. And, 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 and it created a lot of anxiety for me because of some of the issues I was going to have to confront. Uh, but it wasn't until I confronted those issues that I began to get some resolution. So none of what I said is meant to criticize people, but it is meant to give people cause to reflect and to go, might I actually be the problem? And therefore, might I actually be the solution? And can I live with how terrifying that is? And I think, Paul, that's the great point, though, is, is initially it is terrifying to realize that you're at the, the core, the responsibility piece is terrifying, that you've been creating this scenario because of the behaviors that you've allowed or the way that you've been behaving too. But it's also we're the answer, which is empowering. And that's the incredible thing about it is we're both the, the problem and the solution. And, and that's... That's a beautiful place to be. But when you come into this initially, you realize you're the problem. That hurts. It's, it's yeah. painful and it's terrifying because you're, you're looking into this abyss now that you may have never looked into before. And I think that's why a lot of us avoid the inner work is we don't have a lot of reference points for support around how to do it. And also it's this whole new space too. It's not only do we not have a roadmap, it's there's it's completely unknown to us in many ways. So it's like going into a completely different world without any kind of preparation or tools or a map or anything. That's terrifying. Hopefully on our show together, we can offer some tools. You can fill up your bag when you go into this journey. We mentioned climbing a mountain a few Mm -hmm. times, right? Hopefully we can give you a nice strong tent, a sleeping bag, a, some good food, some snacks that you can have with you on your way so you don't get up there and you're half naked and you have no idea what you're doing. Ideally, you can make that journey maybe a little more enjoyable, a little more quicker and ulti- make the impact in the world, really. Because that's honestly, Paul, when we own businesses and we're running them properly and we're doing them in a good way, we benefit from it by creating wealth and freedom in our life. Our community benefits from it. 
our team benefits from and our customers do. So it's a win-win all around when we do it ethically. I think, but I you, think if, what you just you said, though. If you're property, yes, all those people have the opportunity to benefit from. But I, I just want to pick up on something you said, because you said when you become aware of it, that's hard. And it is. I think the other factor that for me, and maybe you've experienced this also, is just two hearts. The first heart is acknowledging, wow, I have to accept that I'm the problem here. The second heart is looking at what the solution is. Now, I can't think of a personal example right now, but there are many, but I know from a business point of view, when I acknowledged I was the problem and then I realized, oh, so this is what I would have to do to fix it. The fix was going to be very challenging. I was heading in, I mean, I, I was heading into samurai territory. I, there was going to be some serious conflict. I was heading into a war zone of fixing it, mm. a war zone that I was probably in for a couple of years. So I knew to fix this, to create the business I wanted, the culture I wanted, the company I wanted, and the lifestyle I wanted for me. I knew I was in the battle zone. I knew I had some big battles to fight. I wasn't wrong. I did have some big battles to fight. And I think that's ultimately why it took me so long to acknowledge it. Because I was going, no, I, I just don't have these fights. It, it's like an old couple who live together and who, you know, snap at each other, but won't have the hard conversations because it's too hard to really yep. address what's going on. Uh, so I think sometimes that's the problem as well. I think for many people listening, it will be, okay, admitting it is one thing. But now I've got to go and address these issues and I'm terrified that I, I won't succeed in addressing those issues, that I will cause big problems for myself, that it will cause problems for the business. And that's genuinely terrifying for people. And so I, one of the things I want to say about that is that it was terrifying for me too, and that could be difficult for a, long, a, a lot of people. So just because you're looking down the road and going, oh my God, that looks hard and I'm scared. Yeah, that's the road. It's not you, not because you're not potentially a great entrepreneur. It's not because you're not good enough. It's not because you don't have the ability. It's because that's mostly what we all face when we've gotten ourselves into a position that we need to get out of. Mostly we've got to face some stuff like that. And it's not just you. It's, we, we all face, we all face that. It's a tough road to hoe. That's really, that's ultimately what it comes down to. But that's great, Paul, because that's, that should be reassuring knowing that you do have the capacity, the potential to build yourself up, to acquire those skills, to learn these things, to navigate that rough terrain. Because to your point, entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. Statistically, it's not no. for everyone. No. It's, it's just reality. It's not <laughs> like, for 95%. Exactly. And that's, so it's brilliant if you feel drawn to be a part of the 5%-ish ish of people yeah. because we need entrepreneurs in the world. But it's also acceptable to realize that it's horrifying because you're taking a path that only five, roughly 5% of the population is going to take. That's why it's tough. But that's the upside. And I think what we're going to get into as we continue in this conversation around culture and leadership, because really they feed each other. Bad culture is an outcome of weak leadership. And, and ultimately, that's really what it comes down to. And so when we're looking at Starting, Paul, around the pillars of a great culture, and we, we're talking about weak leadership right now, but one of those big things, I think, is we've, there's six points that we have here that are, are components of, of great leadership or great culture. But is there anything that you wanted to mention about leadership or weak leadership specifically before we start diving into some of these things? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think we have a way to go before we get there. Okay. So, so, so I want to justify my position that I want to justify my position that when I find, but bad culture, it's always weak leadership. But I want to justify that. Here's my reason for thinking of that. The three reasons for that. So you're the lead of an organization and because I've had these conversations with people and you have a cultural problem and you're blaming your staff, your management, your team, you know. This, the problem, the reason I have a poor culture is because of these people. So here's my three reasons why it's you. The first reason you'll have, the first reason you'll have a weak culture is because you're setting low standards. So you're not raising the bar. You're not going, 
You work here, the standard is here. So you're not mm. setting, you're not setting the, sta the, the standards. That's, that's the first thing. So if you're not setting very high standards and those standards are for culture, behavior, if you're not setting high standards, don't expect people to meet them. So I hold you responsible for not, for not setting high standards. The second thing is you are setting high standards. You're saying this is how it should be, but you're tolerating people operating below the line. You're tolerating behavior, performance, and accountability. You're, you're tolerating people operating below the standard you set. And as an owner and leader, you're responsible for that. So firstly, you're not setting the standards. Now you go, no, I am setting the standards, but is everyone operating at those standards? Well, no, to be honest with you, this person, okay, so you're tolerating that. You're not calling, you're not calling that out. So they're the two, they're the two main issues. And it's mostly that you may be not communicating a clear standard, but if you are, you're allowing people to slip under the barrier and, and you're tolerating and you just have to tolerate it once. And then people learn that actually he says the standard is here, but the standard is really here. So that's the second reason. And then people will talk to me about, well, that may be the case, but you know, I took over, I, I took over as leader here and here, here's the problem. So there is, a, there are some times when someone will say to me, I have a cultural problem and it's not me. And I say, really? They say, yes. Cause I took over this team six weeks ago. And that's okay. I'm okay. I accept that. So you did take over the team. There was a per culture. But if I walk back in the door in six months time and you still a per culture, now I'm pointing the frame with you. I've gone, hold a sec, bud. Now I know it's a poor culture because you didn't fix it. And you have a couple of choices in fixing it. One is you can try and coach the people, train, train the people, improve the people. You can do that. If that doesn't work, then you have a hiring and firing issue. So if that doesn't work, if you do that, the coaching and people still aren't stepping up to the standard because they're not willing to step up to the standard or unable to step up to the standard, you have a firing issue. You need to remove people from the team. And now you have a hiring issue because you need to hire more capable people into the team. So I've seen this and I've seen this on many occasions. If you have over a long period of time, six to 12 months where culture doesn't improve in a business or in a team. You can always point to the leader and go, it's weak leadership because they're failing on these three points, setting a low standard, tolerating a low standard, or they're just not hiring the right people, firing the right people. And I don't see, so the lesson for me there is set a standard, communicate it very, very clearly. You're going to get what you tolerate. So you're going to tolerate a higher standard and fire the people who aren't up to standard and hire grade A people who will be up to standard. I've seen this in my business on a couple of occasions. I saw one team that were deplorable. Uh, it, it was a complete business we had. Deplorable. Literally, we were forecasting it month by month and it was like a ski slope. And we're going, how mm. long before we are out of, this part of our business is out of business? How long before this company is out of, and uh, it, it was literally going, oh my God, this is terrifying. And uh, so we made a, and it seemed at a very dangerous point, we were removing the manager and a lot of people came to me and said, Paul, this is the wrong decision, but I knew we were sliding down the ski slope. So we removed the manager and we put a new manager in it, honestly, to turn it, to turn it around may have taken, can't remember precisely that you begin, we began the turnaround within certainly a couple of months and it was radically turned around within 12 to 24 months now. Now, as I look at that business issue, which is probably about seven or eight years ago, now I have a team performing phenomenally well. I mean, a team that we look month and month and we go, look how these guys are, are look how these guys are delivering. Even in difficult markets, you go, my God, look how this team are delivering. And guess what? It's the same team. One role has changed in that team. The person who's managing the team has changed. So the people who are underperforming are now a team here go literally looking at their figures go, they're so, they're so great. They're rich. Look at the performance of that business in many different measures. So I have seen that. I saw a similar thing in our ops department where, where, where we had guys preferring badly. We changed the, changed the management. And again, over a period of time, a couple of people in the team who had dropped off began to up their performance enormously under new management. And I think maybe one person was removed 
one or two people maybe were removed off the team and he brought on people, people that met the standard of operations that he, that he wanted and to fit into a team. So I've seen that happen on enough occasions for me to know, and I'm referring to my business when over a longer medium to long term, I see something performing well, I know I have a really good manager doing it. And if it's not performing well, I know I have a lousy manager doing it. And some people will look at a really good manager and go, no, he just has a great, just has a great team. He's not so good. I go, no, lousy managers don't keep good teams. People leave them. People leave them or people stop performing well. So I can feel I'm getting into a rant on that, but you can see I'm passionate about it <laughs> because, because I have seen it so many, so many times. So I rest my case, your honor. Um, if you if you have a poor culture, it's a leadership issue. And and Paul, I love that though because the again, it's tying back to if you're listening to this and you're a leader in a company, you have the ability to make the change. There's those three components that you laid out there are the the standard you've got to set. You've got to you either you have low standards or you raise the bar and whether you tolerate it or not is on you. And then if you're, if you, if you decide to tolerate it or not, you've got to hire or fire people depending on the new standards that you set and that you're enforcing. But then where we're moving into, and you started to allude to it a bit there is we're now moving in from, okay, weak leadership creates bad culture. We know that now toxic culture, it manifests itself in many ways. And to your point earlier, we're going to get into what makes good culture, but it all starts with leadership. You don't get to good culture without strong leadership. And that's where we are right now. I'd love to hear, because you were mentioning management, but we're also talking about leadership. And so let's dive in the difference there if we can. Like what makes a good manager to you versus a leader or and vice versa? Because that's something that I think we want to cover as well. well I, I have no experience of working for big corporates. No experience. No experience. I've always worked for SME businesses, and mm-hmm. uh, I've been an owner of a business for so long now that I, I've never really experienced anything else. So what I can't talk to is what it's like to run a team when you're part of a company that has 3,000 employees or something. I can't talk to that because I've never, exper- I've never experienced, and I can imagine that frustration with someone who has a bad team, who is a good leader, but who but above them is weak leadership and they can't, and they can't mm. make the changes. But the principle remains the same. If, if that's being tolerated, even in a large company, you just have to look higher up the chain because somewhere there's very weak leadership. And again, what I've noticed is that good people don't stay. So you may have a very strong leader and they can't change the team because their boss doesn't see the problem. And those people will move to a different part and then move somewhere else or they leave the company. So you, so a weak leader will just not keep good people. But when I talk about management versus, versus leadership, I think they're two different skills. And for a long time, I was a manager of my business and I would rate myself as a poor manager. And, uh, and I realized I had good leadership skills and poor management skills. And management is more of a, to me, it's more operational. So it's more keeping on top of stuff that, you know, all day long and, you know, managing what people are doing on a, on a day-to-day basis. And I realized. Kind of task uh, management, project management stuff. Like yes, ta- exactly. that, that, is that what you think? Got it. Yeah. Okay. Whereas leadership, leadership to me is the ability to inspire people and inspire people means in it's sharing a vision of what this team or what this business can do. So people are inspired. Yeah, we're building something, building something good here. And they're proud of what they're doing. So you're inspiring people to do the work and to achieve the goals. So that's the first job of a leader. leader. But the second is to inspire them to act independently. Because if those people, if you inspire them, but it's not independent, you need to keep on top of them all of the time, then that's drifting back into task management. So what I found from my experiences, what I realized what I was good at was this notion of inspiring people and dedicating uh, accountability and responsibility to people. So I found I was good in that 
zone, but not particularly good at day-to-day task management because it just, it requires a level of detailed thinking that just doesn't suit maybe my creative mind or whatever it is, but it just doesn't work for me. I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy it. But having said that, of the, so of the managers I have in the, in, in the business now, so my delegation to them is very much letting them understand what we're trying to do with the business, hopefully inspiring them to be involved and create them to be very much part of that, rewarding them accordingly, and then largely letting extremely capable people free to do what they want to do. And at this point in time, for me, what that looks like is A, being available to them all the time, but they almost never reach out to me. So I'm available to them all the time and they almost never contact me because they have nothing to contact me about. And then once every couple of weeks, I go in and I meet with the team. We sit down and we do like a every fortnight review. And I found that that I go in for a couple of hours and that couple of hours with the team go through all areas of the business is enough. And after that, they really don't need me. Although I'm available if they do, but they really don't need to talk to me for the next couple of weeks. Uh, so that's kind of a, a, a I'm going to say an extreme, but a very high level version of the degree to which you can delegate in a business. But the managers then, I would say, so when you engage with your team in that leadership style, what I have found is the managers I have in each department, they take a similar approach. Now, they're very different from the point of view that they're there all day. They're engaged with tasks throughout the day with people because they're operationally involved in the business and operationally responsible. So they're very much engaging with people every day where I'm not. I'm standing back and just engaging every couple of weeks with people. So they're engaging every day, but they do it in a leadership style. And this is key. And the leadership style, there's a few things. The leadership style, so they're doing a mini version of what I'm doing. They're inspiring their team. They're talking to a team, you know, we're going to be a great sales team. We're going to be, be, have the most efficient operations this business has ever had, whatever. So, they're insp- so, so the leader on a, the manager stroke leader there is managing the team, but doing it in leadership style. So inspiring the team, setting a very high standard and then largely letting those people go about their day themselves and not checking in with them all the time. Allow, and hiring very good people, giving those people clear guidelines, but giving those people autonomy to get on about the day themselves. And that works very, that, I find that works very well when you have good people. So that's a kind of a leadership stroke management style, but I think leadership is all about inspiring people so they have a vision of what you're doing, what you're creating, what you want to do. And so they're inspired to value that, that that's important to them and then letting people get on with it. Now, if someone is I, I, in a meeting with a young manager about four weeks ago, and he's a couple of years running his own business, he now has about a dozen people working for him. Uh, but what he's found because he's built it up himself and he's doing very well, but what he's found is that he is snowed under everything is going through him. But why is everything going through him? Everything's going through him because he was a young entrepreneur, started a business. When you're on your own, you do everything. He brought in one person to do this, but he was still the boss. So everything comes straight up and he's built that style to now he has a dozen people and he's literally driven bad because they're coming at him all the time. I know exactly what that feels like because I stood in those shoes, I can tell you. So he's been driven mad, but he's also realizing now that the higher leverage task that he needs to do to grow the business, he can't do because he's snowed under all day long. So I think there's two things going on there when we chatted about it. And the first thing is for him to acknowledge that that's it's back to awareness for him to go, I'm the problem, I'm the problem here. And I need to look at fixing this problem. First thing to need to be aware of it. And then when he becomes aware of it and goes, I'm aware of this, I need to do something different and I need to move into a more of a leadership role, less of a management role. So you first communicate that to your team and you go, hands up. I realize I'm now, I, I'm now a roadblock in this business and I need to do something different. You tell the team, I think I can grow and develop the business in this way, but I need the freedom to do that. And that needs you guys stepping up and taking more responsibility. If you have good people, they will step up and take responsibility. They will be delighted. They've probably been enormously frustrated by the fact that they have to run everything by you. They do it, you're paying your wages, but they're probably frustrated as hell thinking that I'll never grow in this business. So good people will absolutely jump on that. 
And some people won't be able to, maybe you need to remove them from the business or maybe they need to lose their position. So I said, so, so this is what we discussed that he had to go and communicate that to, that to his team, encourage them to step up, see who would really do that, but then hold their hands because you can't just transition. I was talking about how I run the business. I go, you can't just transition to that overnight. So his thing was at this point in time, I mean, dozen times a day, my day is filled with people asking me all these questions. It's going, what if I took that down to going, you know, I'm available to you between eight and nine in the morning, get all your questions into me and the following morning, come back into me, show me what you've done, your solutions. And we'll ask more questions and begin to break that. But the gap was only 24 hours tomorrow morning. You can speak to me. And so he has started doing that going, okay, guys, I'm not, you got to make your own decisions, but tomorrow morning at eight o'clock, we'll review them and we, it can be a coaching session. And as people get better at that, you can go, now I'm only doing that, by the way, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Tuesday and Thursday, you've no contact, you know, can't, and you gradually over a period of time get to a situation. Yeah. What do you get to, how long is it taking to get to my situation? I don't know. But you gradually get, probably get to a situation where go, by the way, guys, every Monday morning, we have a team meeting, we plan the meeting, you do your thing. And on Friday, come back into me, and we'll review how everything goes, we'll tweak it, we'll coach, we'll teach, we'll mentor, we'll make decisions, and you rock on again. So you're creating and building a great culture. So, so I don't I don't that answers the question that that's clear, but that's the difference between leadership and management. Um, and, and good managers always are part leaders is what I would say. I'm not saying management is bad, man. Good is always yep. part leaders. Yeah. And, and the great thing about a leader is a leader wants people to grow, to take responsibility that's, so that the whole company can grow. And a manager, poor manager is trying to control everything. A poor manager. And that's, and I think too, Paul, that's a good distinction there because growing companies need both leaders and managers. And you mentioned it, good managers will have leadership qualities. They'll have strong leadership qualities. But when I was listening to you and what I was hearing is good managers are going to enforce and set this, like enforce the standard that is set by leadership. And they're going to coach their team and check in with them, ensure that they're hitting those standards. If there's roadblocks, they're going to help them get out of their way. And then the good managers will check in with their leadership team to make sure, hey, we're trending, trending in the right direction. How does things look from your perspective? Do you have feedback for what we're doing? But then they're out of the way again. It's, I don't think people realize how important it is when you're running a healthy, growing company to educate, to coach, to lead, and then get the hell out of the way. You got to let people learn. And, and honestly, Paul, with a young daughter, we apply a lot of these same principles with our child. You got to be there to support. You can't abandon them because they need help to figure out what it is. But you also can't jump in and rescue them every time something gets hard or if they can't figure out or they get frustrated because all you're going to teach them is all I need to do is feign helplessness and victim set and then somebody will come in and rescue me. What is my daughter going to do when she's 18, 20, whatever, and has to go out into the world? She's going to be completely helpless. So we, we do the same types of things in business sometimes as we think, oh, I'm the leader. Oh, I'm the manager. I need to go fix this thing. I need to solve it for them. Yeah. But all we're doing is creating us as the bottleneck. We become the thing that they now have to run all of our problems through, like you said. And now we're a slave to a role that we hate. They resent us because they can't do anything without running everything through us. So it creates this cycle. And I think toxic negative culture components come in and that's where that stuff comes out of. So I, I think that that's very helpful to understand the difference between good management and leadership. Good managers will have leadership components, but organizations need both skill sets. Because to your point earlier, I'm also a bad manager like that. I, I, I'm not in the, I don't do well in the day-to-day -day doing stuff like that. Because that's the difference. If you are an entrepreneur or an owner of a business, your greatest value is often the vision that you have for the company and where you're going and what you want to do, the way you're seeing the market, right? So that allows us to lead a company and then trust our team. That's a hard part that we got to work on as leaders is learning to trust ourselves, learning to trust our team, trusting our processes, trusting our hiring process, like all of those things. If all that's bad now, we may have a long way to go. And you mentioned that earlier, Paul. 
it's not everyone's journey is going to be exactly the same. Like it, it, it's going to take you a different amount of time versus what it would take me to do it. It's going to matter the industry, the end, how long you've been running your business, the skills you have. So we can't say in six months, if you follow these five steps, you're going to have, you're going to be running your business for an hour a week. That's bullshit. You yeah. and I both know it it's is. And if anybody's telling you that, be very cautious. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I think, yeah, yeah, exactly. You said something, uh, I think, I think. What's the common trait between good leadership and, uh, and good management? And I think because both of them encourage freedom and autonomy, they want their people mm. to be autonomous, to make independent decisions, and they give people the freedom to do that. And the, de the definition of poor management leadership is when I don't give you autonomy to make decisions, run everything past me, and I don't give you, free mm. I don't give you freedom. So you have to have the courage to give freedom and autonomy and in freedom and autonomy, you really nurture great people. If you hire great people, you're really nurture great <laughs> people, but a lot of people are afraid to give the freedom and autonomy and you end up, as you say, creating this, you know, loop you're in, but you've created a mess for yourself uh, and you're going to have to start right back in the very beginning and, and sort that out. And one of the things we found is that I, I can remember this many, many years ago, we, we had always problems with salespeople because we couldn't get them to sell. And so we beat them up and we caused, tried to incentivize them, tried all this sort of stuff, all this conflict because they just weren't selling that well. And we'd complain about them a lot. And of course, eventually the hard moment was, why aren't they selling well? Because they're not salespeople. They're service people. Mm. You've, you've created an organization where you call every, everyone in the, that sort of role, a salesperson, so they're going, no, look, you, you need hunters and you need farmers, and you need someone to tip the farm, the, the customers you have, and to look after them and to service them particularly well. So that, because the nature of our business are those customers are calling in all the time and they need products and help and tech and support. And our, our service people, our farmers are looking after that and they need to do it extremely well. But when we try to turn those farmers into hunters, we complain about them and we go, they're not bringing in new business. What's going on? And we did this for years ago. It's not in their nature. We're trying to put this, the old square peg in the round hole. We're putting them in the wrong box. And once we had that realization, we realized, okay, so these people are good service people. In actual fact, when you put them in the service box, they do it extremely well. When we try to get them to go and hunt, they do it very poorly because they're not hunters. And so then we separate it. We said, oh, we need business development teams and we need service teams, sales, service team, the hunter and the farmer. And once we did that, we started getting much better results. What we found is the service people began to perform much, much better because the outcomes and the targets and the accountabilities they had were to do what they were designed to do really, really well. We weren't, we weren't hiring cats and complaining to them that they weren't barking like dogs. We were hiring cats to go, you've got to meow and drink milk. And they go, that's what we do. <laughs> so I think, you know, but this comes, but this comes down to leadership. It's hiring those, it's hiring those good people. So when you hire those, when you hire good people, you put them in the right box. And then what you try and do, and this is where culture really helps the business, is you now try and create an environment where those people thrive in. And my personal experience of that was when I appointed a COO in our business. And that was me realizing, Paul, you're a shit manager. You know, you're causing problems because you don't have the management skills. And so you need to just be an overseer of this business because you're good at that, by the way. And I looked through the business and I said, is there someone else in the business that will do that role of overseeing, thinking about the business better than you? I thought, no, you're going to do that better than anyone else. And you enjoy doing it. Okay, but you're in this management role and you're terrible at that and you don't enjoy, enjoy doing it. And when I had that realization, I realized I need to put a COO into business. The COO had been with me maybe 15 years in a different role, in, in a management role, but not in that role. So as I, over a period of time, transitioned him into that role, it was a new role in the business for him. And I realized I had two things to do and the two important things. The first thing was to put someone with, well, it was three things. The first thing was to recognize my weakness. And my weakness was I was causing a lot of problems in the business because I was trying to be something I wasn't. I was trying to manage, manage people when I had poor management skills 
And that led to a lot of slip, slippage in the business because it wasn't being managed properly because I was poor manager. Recognize that. Don't throw the baby out of the bathwater here. Get someone better than you to do that. I mean better than me to do that. My COO. And for those common listeners, that's awareness. That's awareness, right? That's yeah. our, remember our first big in burnout, like the awareness is always important. So sorry, but that's, I think that's important no, to note, Paul. No, you're right. Because it, if you don't have that moment of awareness, like in burnout, like in recognizing you have a bad culture, if you don't have the moment of awareness goes, oh, it's me and the problem. If you don't have the moment of awareness, nothing else happens. And to be honest with you, it took me a long time to sit back. I remember having some mess in the business and it's the advantage of journaling and reflection. I sat back and I realized that I looked around my team and I realized three of my senior people need to go. Oh my God. In fact, four of my senior people need to go. One of them was me. Yeah. I, I, and what you had five, right? Wasn't it five senior yes, people yes, and like four of them I had to go? Yeah. I assessed the team <laughs> and I said, four of those people are not up to scratch. One of them is, but the awareness thing, hopefully the self-awareness thing was realizing that one of the people who had to go was me because I was ultimately causing the problems in the business. I thought, I've got to go. I can't do that job anymore because I'm bad. And by me being bad at that job, I'm allowing other people to do their jobs poorly. So over mm. a period of time, I, I became that awareness, put a COO in and gradually removed the other people from the business. So when I say this, so the first task was me to become self-aware of that. Second task was to put someone in to do those, uh, operate the business better than, than I do. And it's clear now he runs up the business better than I did, which is great. It's a win-win for everyone. By the way, I hope he never listens to this podcast. He's very highly paid for doing that. I mean, he doesn't get, <laughs> he does not get out of bed in the morning and go, hey, hey, I'm making Paul Ryan rich. He does not think about that, but he runs a the business very well. It's very profitable. And I have no doubt at the end of the year, when he looks at his remuneration, he's going to his wife. That's a very sweet number, <laughs> but he's doing it for himself. Well, you want that, don't you, Paul? You want your team to feel great about their position and status in the yeah. company. Like if he does great at his job, he feels good about the work he's doing. He's fulfilled by his role and he's paid well. He won't give a crap about what the business is doing for you because all he's thinking about is what it's doing for him and his family. That's really what matters. He, he's looking at the, he's going, this business, which I didn't put capital, capital into, which I have no risk in, which I didn't found, which I did, you know, I'm getting a, a very sizable reward out of this that I wouldn't get as an employee in most businesses. My, my, if, and when we exit this business, my COO has a piece of the exit as well. So he's well tied in to, so he, I mean, he, when he gets out of bed in the morning, his aim is to make the, pro, the business as profitable as possible. Not for me, but for him. And that's the way it should be. And the more money he earns, the more delighted I am that he earns because of, because of the win-win. But I realized that, so I realized that the next thing I had to do was get very, someone very good in the position. And now I had to create the environment, the environment that he could thrive in. And because he had come from an environment where seeing with a managing team, but he probably knew they, were, they, they weren't up to scratch. Hell, he probably even didn't know why I wasn't up to scratch. So, um, well, if he's as good of a COO as you're saying he is, he probably damn well knew that you weren't as good at it as he could be. Yeah. But the thing is, as we've gotten to know each other very well over the years and had a very honest relationship, the recognition was that he looked at what I brought to the business and thought, I can't do that. I don't want that. I mean, he was very clear, Paul. I don't want the responsibility for what your response from the business because I don't think that way. I don't have that imagination. And I go, brilliant, because I love doing that. I, I'm not looking to give that up, but I want to give you responsible for the responsibility for these things. I'm weak at He's going, great. I'll do those because I'm your detailed man all day long. So you got a great combination of honesty, of going, I can't do what you do, and I don't want to. How oh, great, because I can't do what you do, and I don't want to. And then you get this marriage that works really, really well. But I know I had to create a good environment. So what I did was we needed to bring two new managers into the business one externally and one we promoted internally. But what I was, what I really did then was I really pushed the standard up. So I knew I needed, I knew I needed a team that in each department could do the job, could run the business better than I did. And that's what we hired. That's what we paid for. And that's, what we set the whole structure. So I created with him, but for him, this team that he wouldn't be fighting against that would support him. So that's part of building the culture as well. You've created 
you bring good people in, but you create a good environment where they can survive and thrive. And that's, that, that's essential. If I had put him in, but left a weak management team, he would have just been frustrated. He wouldn't have tried. He would have been fixing problems that were, he would have been, we discussed this a couple of weeks ago. His attention would have been focused fixing problems in the business, not outside the business going, how can we grow? How can we, how can we develop? So I think that's really important. Hire good people, but your job as a leader then is to create a great environment that they will stay in. Hey, I hope all my good people stay with me a long time. But, and thankfully, most of my key people are a very long time with the, with, with the business. They could get jobs anywhere. They're a very long time with the business. And I hope that's because of the effort I've made to create our business, that they benefit from the business. They benefit from the profits. They benefit from the growth. If we sell the business, they will benefit from that. And when you create that win-win environment, it leans some into the ethics conversation we're, we're going to get to. But when you create that win-win environment, guess what? You win more than you would have, that, than you would have otherwise. So I just, think it's a, I just think it's a great thing to do in a business. And it certainly worked well. Any business I know that's taken that approach has worked really, really well. Well, Paul, and I think it's important to say that too. That's why having a long view is so critical as a business owner and leader is because if you don't do that, it's easy to get penny wise and pound foolish where you'll cut costs or try and take shortcuts in the short term. And that hurts the progress and success of your business over the lifetime of it. And so when you don't take care of your people, when you cheap out on certain things, when you degrade them or you talk down to them, it may work in the moment. It may fix the thing that you're trying to do in that moment. But in the long run, your business is going to be far less profitable, far less successful, and you're not going to have the freedom that probably brought you into creating that business in the first place. Because without those things, without great culture, without a great team, you can't be a successful business owner and have that life you envision without those people around you. I think what you're saying is that you can't bullshit it. It has to be sincere. So if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, what these guys are saying makes a whole lot of sense. I will create a great culture in my business so it will make me more profit. By the way, I really don't give a shit about the people working for me. I don't give a shit about the customers. I just want to make money. But I know if I do this, it will make a good business. It's one of these things you can't BS. Like you can't BS a personal relationship with someone. You can take a girl out for dinner. You can be all sweet. But... Long-term, you can't BS someone. If you're really an asshole, she's going to find out quick enough. Yeah. So I think, I think. Unless you're a politician. (laughs) Sorry? Yeah, exactly. So unless you're a politician. Sorry. Unless you're a politician, you could vote it out. But I think you have to fundamentally get that in any relationship you have with people, if you treat them well, if you want the best for them, if you respect them, and if it's mutual respect, Mutual win-win, you're going to create a long-term, mutually beneficial relationship. So if you get that and go, so everyone that works for me, I want them to enjoy coming into work. I want them to feel respected. I want them to feel listened to. I want them to, I want to create a great environment for them to work with. And when they go home, when they go home, I want them, their spouse, their partner, wherever, to record, to see from them that they're enjoying what they're doing. Plus, they're being remunerated very well for this. Again. Not only am I enjoying working here, it's a good place to work, but I'll do better than I work anywhere else. A, a, a simple example would be about six months ago-ish, a very good business development guy working just left the business. And he went, he got an opportunity in a different industry. He was a lovely guy. We got on great, but he got this opportunity, which he took. And as but he said, he loved working for us, but he got this opportunity. Interestingly, what happened was he, Shortly before he left, he said to his manager, he said, I think I know a guy who could do this job. And she said, well, we're interviewing people, so we'll interview someone. He said, look, I've been in business, you know, working in different places for 20 years. There's only one guy that I would recommend. Here's the guy. Will you interview him? She said, yeah, I'll interview him. So bring him in for, bring him in for an interview. This guy is now working for us. He's great. He's probably better than his predecessor. Probably more suitable to pre- but here's the interesting thing. After he started working for us, he said, I thought the guy who got me in here was on commission. We're going, why? Because he sold you guys so well. 
couldn't stop talking about what a great team you were to work for. He couldn't stop talking about what a great company was to work for. He said, so much so, I reckon he must have been commissioned to get me in here. We're going, no. So, I mean, us treating this guy well, look, not everyone saves you. He still moved on eventually to work for another business, but he went out of his way to support us by getting someone else into the role and did a phenomenal selling job on someone to go, this is a great opportunity to work with these people. So it's a win-win, but you have to go into it with honesty, integrity, genuinely wanting the best for genuinely wanting the best of people. If you don't, it'll be BS and, and they will, they won't buy it. And Paul, the best people in the world, the most talented individuals, skilled individuals, hardworking individuals, they're going to see through that, whether right. they, they instantly pick it up or not, but they're going to eventually expose that and you're going to lose the best people in the world. So your point is, is you can't fake this. You can't fake caring. You can't fake caring about your team. You can't fake caring about your customers because at the end of the day, the only way you do that is not through what you say, but how you treat people, the actions that you take, the way you show up in your business, the way you run your business, the expectations that you set, the outcomes that you set for your company, right? Clear outcomes and expectations, which is where we're going to move into next. And I think this is actually going to be the last piece that we're going to cover in this episode before we wrap, because I know we got a few more talking points that we wanted to get through in the notes that we have, but being mindful of Brandon, our time. What I'm thinking, Brandon, is that where we might wrap it, because we've so much more to get into here, but I think we might push it forward to another episode because I think two great points have come out of this. And if you agree with me, I think they might be the wrapping points of the episode. And I, you've kind of summarized them, but just to emphasize them, I think two really important points have come out of, come out of this. And the first is that you are responsible for this. As the leader, you're responsible for the culture. So, that, so I think we've hammered that point home and hopefully validated that point. The first thing... Send us your hate mail too. Send us your hate please, mail whenever please you please want do. to. Well, yeah, please, get, get, bring it on. Yeah. But he drowned his Paul couldn't give a shit about Tom, so... Send it to me now. Send it to me now. All my real personality... I'll come. link that in the show notes. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. My real personality is... Co- it is coming out. My wife says I'm the only person she knows that actually doesn't care what anyone else thinks about them. So I have to, I have to, I have to, have to tell their personality down. But, 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 but please do because it'd be, because now I welcome all comments. But that's the first part to go, hey, I'm responsible for setting this, this culture. And that that can be a hard, it can be a terrifying thing to do. It can, it can be difficult. I think what we're saying, Brandon, is it can be difficult. And that's the road. It, it, it wasn't easy for me. It wasn't easy for you. Uh, it's the road. And so if you're finding it difficult, it's just, it, it is difficult. I think it's the first thing that you're responsible. But the second thing that we've come to that I think we can close on, which I think is hugely important, is that it has to be genuine and it has to be sincere. You cannot bullshit culture in your business. Because culture is how we do things in a business. Culture is the standard you set. Culture is the story you tell about the business. We're going to talk about that a little bit next time we get to this topic. But I think that you cannot bullshit that. You cannot bullshit that. And I'll close a, a, a little story of, so this is back in 2009 and business was, for us in Ireland, I mean, global economy crashing was terrible. Our business had fallen by maybe 50, 60%. And at the time I would meet my father, you know, once a week or so, I still do obviously, but we, we would talk more about business in, in those days. And he was, he wasn't working anymore, but he was very worried about the global economy. And every time I would meet him, he would say, well, how's business going, Paul? And I would tell him the fact that it wasn't going well, but I, in my nature, I had all these plans. We're doing this, we're doing this, we're not. This is how we're going to come out. And I remember saying something going, oh, there may be a recession, but it's not my recession. So we had all these plans and things we were doing with the business. And week after week, I would share my plans with him. He would just bring me down. He, he would like, oh, but I've spoken this. He would tell me all the reasons why I was going to fail. And because this is going back so, so I'm going to say I was in my thirties at the time. I was just a kid, Brandon. So to him, he was effectively going, you're a young book. 
I know all these experienced people, people of my age. I know all these older experienced people. And what they're saying is we are doomed. We are doomed for the next 20 years. And so he was basically saying, no matter how good you think you, you can, no matter how, what you think you can survive this, people know more than you. They must be right. And they're telling you, they're telling me we're doomed. So every time I'd come in, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing. And he would give me the, do, the gloom and doom story. So it was really depressing for me. I mean, I would go in with all my ideas. I would leave. Gone. It's like, no, it had no impact on how I was running the business and nothing. So there was no connection or involvement there at all, but I was just deflated. And so after a while this going on, we met up one week and I said that you've got to, you've got to stop talking to me that way. If, if you feel really negative about this and if you're worried therefore about the future of the business, because no matter what I'm doing, if you fundamentally believe, no, we're going at a business, you're going to fail. If you fundamentally believe that, keep it to yourself. I don't want to know. Do not share it with me because it's not helpful. And I said, here's the reason why. I said, because I, when I walk back into the business on Monday morning, I said, I'm meeting these people and I'm telling these people a story. And my story is this. It's really hard. The economy is really, really difficult. Yes, there are a lot of challenges, but here's how we're going to survive it. And then I would go to the positives of the business and go, guys, we have so much going on that other businesses don't have. We've great team. We've great products. We own our buildings. We're not paying rent. There's no knocking on our doors. We own all our stock. We don't owe the banks any money. We're very, you know, we use our own cash flow. So I was telling all these stories going, there's challenges, but oh, wow, look, look how better we are positioned than most people who are fighting with banks who can't get credit, whose rent is going through. As we don't have those problems. So I was creating so, um, so and so on that basis, we can build a foundation. It's going to be difficult. We can slowly begin to climb out of that, which we did. But, but what I, the important thing for me was that every day I was in the business every day at the time and every day staff manager was seeing me and talking to me. I couldn't lie to them. I could pull them all together once every couple of months and spin a yarn. Of course I could. You can't lie every day when they meet you in the canteen, people mm. read the truth off your face. So I said to my father, I said, you, I, I have to believe, and I do believe what I'm telling people, but if I start believing what you're believing, then it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy because mm. people will go, Paul's saying one thing, but I can see in his eyes, he believes something else. So when people are feeling down, they can go, but the guy, Paul, the guy who owns our business, He's telling us why we can survive. They begin to get fired up. They're going, so, so maybe we should try this. Maybe we should do this. And of course, we took the business out of recession and obviously we survived and, and we're thriving today. So you can't BS people about, you, you have to speak the truth. And when it came to changing the culture in the business, I couldn't BS people. I was damn serious about new standards in the business, new culture. I was damn serious about Here's how we behave now. If you don't want to behave this way, work somewhere else. I was not messing about. So they knew I was serious. So you cannot BS people. And when I said to people, I wanted to be a great place to work. I wanted to be a nice place. I want to thrive. I want you to enjoy working here. I want you to respect. When I started talking about all these things, it was from the heart and people knew it was from the heart. So you can't BS that. If your goal is to BS that you will fail, stick with what you're doing. Wonderful story. W wonderfully said, Paul. I love that. And I think it's, it's so true just to why we're doing what we're doing together in general. I mean, what, why we do the things that we do independently too is, is it all comes back to that authentic expression of who we are and the way you engage with people. And that's no different in life, in family, in your relationships. And especially not in business. Yeah. Absolutely not in business. If you genuinely want to build a thriving, profitable business that you love, a life that you love, you got to do it authentically. And you got to really believe the things that you're sharing and saying and, and doing all that. So I think it's and a great, you, great And if you genuinely example. want the people who work for you to thrive, if you genuinely want them to prosper in your business, if you genuinely want them to feel like they're a part of this and making this, this business successful is good for them. You want them to feel that they are respected, they're valued, they're cared for, they're important parts of the business. You better believe it. 
Because if you believe it, that's what the business will become over a period of time. And if you don't believe it, then the work is for you to go to figure out why you don't believe it. Don't lie to your people because that will get you nowhere. Well, Henry Ford said it, right? He said, whether you believe you can or you can't, either way, you're right. This is true. This is true. Yeah. That's it. And yeah. that's exactly what you're sharing, Paul. So I, well, fantastic. Yeah. I think that's a great way to wrap the episode. Sorry, so. unless you were. Yeah, no, that's it. Yeah. So, so a couple of things. We've got some. So this really started around culture. We're going to continue to talk about culture, but it's a discussion around leadership yeah. because that's our podcast is built for leaders. It's built for entrepreneurs. And if you want to change the culture at your company, it's going to start with your ability as a leader and understanding what that is. So we're going to continue our conversation around culture and leadership in our next episode. We've got a few talking points here that we didn't get to today. We're going to dive into kind of the components of a great culture. And then after that, we've got a business ethics episode that I think we're going to do that will tie in. It'll illustrate the consequences, I think, of bad business culture and bad, poor leadership in business and how that can affect teams, how that can affect customers. And some of the experiences that you and I have had yeah. interacting with businesses in that sense. So I think it'll be helpful to share other examples of what that looks like. And then, and the final component of this, at least as of now, that could change as you and I get in and start having these conversations, well, as we it drift. changes as we drift and, and, and ride the wave of what we're sharing is we've got some leadership components around uh, Leaf Babin and oh, the, that. the stories we're, that they share. It's Navy SEALs. I mean, you can't really get more. Uh, around leadership around that. So that'll be another piece that we're going to talk about. And I think in an episode or two out, we're going to get into that as well. But we'll keep you all updated, obviously, as we change and flow. We hope you're enjoying the content so far. If you are enjoying it, we'd really love it if you can subscribe to the channel, wherever you may be listening. If it's YouTube, we'd love to have you. If you're listening on the podcast, we'd love to have you as well. If you're finding value in it, please share it with your friends if they think you can help. That's how we're going to grow. That's the only way we can get the word out other than showing up every week and providing valuable content to you. So we certainly appreciate your eyes and your ears. Paul, anything for you, brother? Thank you, Brandon. And thank you, everyone, for giving us the time to listen. We appreciate it as always. And we'll talk to you same time next week. Sounds good. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for listening to The Inner Entrepreneur. If you found value in our content, please consider liking, sharing, and subscribing. New episodes will be released every Thursday at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your attention and take care.